Hallelujah and amen. Well, welcome back. We're so glad that you're here. Did you know that today is Easter? It is so crazy that Easter is already here. Uh, I feel like time has just really gone extra fast. Uh, and it, it, it is crazy that Easter is here. I'm so excited uh, that it, it, without... It, Without Easter and what it means for us as believers, uh, it, it, the life of Christ doesn't mean anything without Easter. And so it's his, his, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection that changes the game for us as believers and changes the game for the church. And so I can't believe it's Easter, but we're so glad that you're joining with us to celebrate that fact with us. And let me do one, little, one more quick plug uh, before we get into the message. Uh, it was this day, a year ago, on Easter, that Holly Pond launched its first service. <clears throat> and so not only is it Easter, but Liberty Church Holly Pond turns one years old today. And so that's really worthy of, of celebrating, and I would have never thought we'd be celebrating it like this, the way things are right now. Uh, but I can just look back uh, over the past year, and I feel... Like it's been a year in a lot of ways. I feel like it's one my fast in a lot of ways too, but I feel like I've grown so much. And that's my hope and prayer for all, all of our Holly Pond folks. I hope and pray that you've grown in Christ throughout this last year because that's why we do what we do. We want to see you grow and flourish in the kingdom of God. And so I want to I wanna say thank you to any and every person that is associated with our Holly Pond campus, all of our leaders, our ushers, all the way down to children's ministry, youth ministry, our worship team. Our media team has been so awesome. And all the folks that continue to come week in and week out, we've met so many awesome people this past year, forged so many amazing relationships this past year. And guess what? It's only going to get better. The best is yet to come. This time next year we'll be turning two, and we'll be gathered together in his house in Jesus' name. Amen. So, But, but thank you so much. It's truly an honor and a privilege <laughs> that Pastor Jessica and I get to get to uh, try our best to lead you every week. Amen. So we're very thankful. But so today, uh, I hope you're excited. I'm excited, humbled, honored, blessed to be here bringing a word to you. We're kicking off a new series and it's titled Raised to Life. Imagine that. We're doing a title, uh, a series titled Raised to Life on Easter. But that's exactly what happened in that tomb on that day over 2020 uh, years ago. Jesus was literally raised from the, from the dead. And I want, you to, I want you to know something. Jesus didn't just come uh, to save the world. He did that. He didn't just come to make evil uh, men good or better. Uh, he came so that dead men and women could be made alive. Could be made alive. He was raised to life so that his sons and daughters could be raised to life. That's why Easter is so amazing and so important. He came to be raised to life so that his believers could also share in that same promise that we could be raised to life as well. And so this morning, let's grab a hold of that inheritance. Let's grab a hold of what that really means for you and for me. And I hope you feel alive this morning. I hope you have hope and joy in your life this morning because there's hope in Christ. I can guarantee you uh, as a pastor, as a preacher, uh, there is hope in Christ. 
and, 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 if, and if he's not alive this morning, if he's not alive, if he didn't uh, conquer death and hell in the grave like we say every Sunday, then everything we do or have done has been done in vain. Paul actually says that in the Gospels. Not in the Gospels, in the, in the, um, the New Testament. That if, if everything we preach and teach about Jesus is not true, if he hasn't, hasn't done those things, then everything we've done is done in vain. It has no power. It has, it has no life-changing ability inside of that message. But if he is alive, and I'm here to tell you he is, then that changes the game for us. Amen. And so let's look at that first scripture. What we're going to do, we got a lot of scriptures for you this morning. We are just going to go ahead and we are going to kind of truck through the story, uh, the Easter story. We're going to kind of hit the highlights we just felt like Pastor Keith wanted to, to just go through it and celebrate Easter and revisit what Jesus has done. So uh, Luke there, chapter 23, I'm going to um, use verses 20 through 23. I'm not going to read all of it, but y'all should have it there on the, the uh, available outline uh, for you. So verse 20, uh, we find Pilate. He's the Roman officer overseeing the, the crucifixion of Jesus, and he argued with them, the crowd. He says, because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? Do you know he was innocent and blameless? And he still went. He was innocent and blameless. And even this uh, officer, Pilate, recognized that fact. He says, I have found no reason to sentence him to death. But so what I will do is have him flogged. And then I will release him. And in verse 23, it says, and the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. I want to stop there just for a moment. I want to ask you this morning, because we got to be careful what we wish for in our, in our own lives. I want to relate this to you, you and I personally this morning. What voices are prevailing in your life these days? Sometimes the loudest voices in our lives are the wrong voices. These, a lot of these same folks that yelled, crucify him, crucify him, or a lot of the same folks that, that said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest just five days earlier. And so we got to be careful as believers that we're not praising Jesus, thanking Jesus for what he's done. And then I, I, I come into a rock and a hard place in my faith, and I'm not walking by faith, I'm walking by sight, and I begin to, begin to question and ask God, because we got to be careful what we wish for. And so I want to encourage you, we need to be led by the Spirit. And not by those, those loud voices. A lot of the time, those loudest voices in our minds are the voices of anger, jealousy, strife, anxiety. And so we're not called to give in to those things because we might crucify Jesus, spiritually speaking, in our lives to where he can't come alive in our lives. But I want to pick up there uh, in Luke 23, verse 33 to 34. He says, uh, when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, speaking of Jesus. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the soldiers then gambled for his clothes by throwing in the dice. Every time I read that, I have the same, the same thought. But the Holy Spirit gave me a different thought this week as I was studying and praying I still had the first thought, when I read that, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing, I can't help but be moved by the purity of Jesus' heart. You know, that's the heart of God. The people that are cursing him, spitting on him, who've beaten him, who are nailing him naked to a cross to die, 
He says, God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The new thought that the Holy Spirit gave me to share with you this morning is, if his heart is so good, is, is so pure, as to not have any ill will to those people that hung him on a cross, why do you think God can't forgive you? He demonstrates his pure heart. But why do we think that we've sinned so bad or we've fallen so short or I've done something so bad and so evil, the sin that I've done, and God can't forgive me? Man, I'm here to tell you, yes, he can. Yes, he can, and he wants to. What better day than Easter could you give your life to Christ today? If you need forgiveness, it's here for you. Amen. we'll give you an opportunity to do that before I close, I promise you. I want to pick up there at Luke 23, verse 44 through 47. It says, by the time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until about 3 o'clock, the light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, the, 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 the holy presence of God from, from, from man in the temple was torn down right through the middle. And Jesus shouted, Father, entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he, bre he breathed his last. With the Roman officer overseeing the execution, saw what happened. He worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. As you read that scripture, the veil, the the, 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 the curtain was literally torn. And so through Jesus, God was saying that thing that separated uh, God the Father from, from man has been, has been separated. You can, you can now enter in. You, you are now made right through what Jesus has done. And, and, and through all that, this Roman officer overseeing the execution has a moment. He has a moment. And so I want you to hear me. When you get close enough to witness Jesus for who he is, he makes himself real in your life. When you get close enough to Jesus, he makes himself real in your life. This Roman soldier just partook in, in crucifying Jesus Christ himself. And he got so close and he's seen what was really going on and he recognized who he was and began to worship him in spirit and truth. So hear me, it's our motive and our honesty. It's your motive and your honesty that brings breakthrough. Your, your, your openness, your honesty, and your motive that brings the breakthrough in your life. This Roman officer was close to Jesus. He saw Jesus for what, and it was his honesty, his openness, and his motive, his motive of heart, that he began to see Jesus for who he was. What, is, what does James 4, 8 say? Does anybody know? James 4, 8, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to it. James 4, 8 says, when we come close to God, or when we draw close to God, he comes close to us, or he draws close to us. And so what better day than on Easter to go ahead and draw back to the Father? to draw back, to come close. When we draw close to him, he draws close to us, just like this Roman soldier who just killed Jesus. Jesus is, is crucified on the cross, and what is he doing? 
He's bringing people to heaven with him. Talk about a ministry. He brought one of the criminals right next to him. He said, today you'll spend time in paradise with me today. He's bringing people into heaven. This, this soldier is, is, is drawn near to God and God's drawn near to him through Jesus. And so he was, Jesus was, was experiencing his cross moment. When you're experiencing your cross moment, do you curse God or are you bringing, bringing people closer to Jesus? Are you bringing people into heaven with you? Because that's what God calls us to do. Let's pick up there Luke 24, 1 through 8. Sorry, I keep, keep interrupting the, the Easter story here. I'm excited. Verse 1 there, it says, Now on the first day of the week, speaking of Sunday, somebody know it's Sunday? The story doesn't end on the cross. Very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away. From the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord. And it happened just as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold, two men, two angels stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, I love this. Why do you seek for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. He's alive. If you're following along, why don't you say it with me? He's alive. He's alive today. Hallelujah. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. And then they remembered his words. I love that. When the, when the angel said, why do you come looking for the dead while he is alive? Why do you seek the living among the dead? For he is alive, he is risen. And so this is the Easter story. We just hit the highlights. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wanted me to impress. It impressed upon me. I want to impress upon our church this morning. You got to not forget that your God is alive. You got to not forget that your God is alive. We can't go looking for, for dead things in dead places we need to know that our God is alive. And right now I know it looks glim and bleak for a lot of people all around the nation, around our state who are jobless, uh, who are struggling, trying to figure out how they're uh, going to provide for their families in this, this season of this, um, this virus. And, and, and we've forgotten, maybe we don't do it on purpose, but you got to remember no matter what my life looks like, he is still alive. He is still in charge. He is still the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, and he still loves me, and he's still got my back. We cannot forget that he is alive. And Jesus was raised to life to establish a new covenant. To anyone else who believes may also be raised to life. If you believe, not only does Jesus conquer death, but you get to get conquered death one day to enter in with him. He was raised to life so that you can be raised to life by hope. Amen. Let's look at that first point that we want to give you this morning. I'm excited to give this to you. And maybe you've never thought of it like this. And so our first point, it says, Jesus was not just buried. He was planted. Come on, somebody. Somebody say, ooh, that's good. That's good. Jesus was not just buried. He was planted. His life was a spiritual seed that would not only conquer death and the grave, but he was raised to life to be the firstborn, somebody say firstborn, of many sons 
and daughters. See, here's the difference between being buried and planted. Do you know there's a difference between being buried and being planted? You want to know what the difference is? The difference is your expectation. (laughs) When you bury something, most of the time there's really no expectation. You're burying that thing, you're saying it's dead, it's gone, it's it's lived its life, it's done its thing, I'm burying it. But when you plant something, what happens? There's an expectation of a promise, a future promise to withhold life, to withhold fruit, to sustain more life, and to produce more fruit. And so something that is buried is considered dead and gone. Something that is planted is expected to come to life and produce more life. And that's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? He had expectation. He was even trying to parlay this information to his disciples to share that expectation with them. And they still missed it. They, they, they said, yeah, we hear you, Jesus. We hear you, Jesus. But they didn't quite get it. And so Jesus' expectation didn't change. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he came to do. And so he knew that he was going to be a seed. He was going to be the firstborn uh, among many who would come to follow. And so he knew that he was going to bring a, a new thing, a new, a new promise, a new covenant for man, and he was going to be planted. His life was a spiritual seed that would not only conquer death and a grave, but be raised to life. And he wanted to be raised to life so that we as believers could also Share in that. John uh, 12, 23 through 28. Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. He says, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and it dies, somebody say dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lies. If you're following along in your Bible or taking notes, I want you to underline that last part. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. In a metaphorical way, this is exactly what Jesus did. This is why he was planted and not buried. Because he was he he was beginning his death was going to produce many new kernels, not just kernels, new life, uh, uh new spirits new souls, harvesting souls, and new lives. And so the Holy Spirit just gave me this quick little phrase. Jesus, Jesus had to go. He had to die. He had to go so that we could get to come. <laughs> Jesus had to go so that we get to come. And so he had to die to be planted, to be rooted for something new to take place. And I want you to hear me. Before anything can be raised to life, before you can raise something from the dead, what has to happen? It first has to die. You can't raise something unless it first dies. And Jesus uses this scripture, this parable of the kernel. He says, if it, if it doesn't be planted and buried and then die, it will not produce fruit. Jesus knew this about himself. He had to first die so that he could be raised to life. The miracle couldn't happen unless he had to go. He had to lay his life down for us. Verse 25 says, Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me, because my servant must be where I am, And the Father will honor anyone 
who serves me. And so just as it is important for Jesus to go first and die, to lay his life down so that he could be raised to new life, I want you to hear me. God calls us to die to ourselves also. We have to die to our flesh and to ourselves on a daily basis. Paul said like this, I, I take up my cross daily. Jesus had a cross. Pastor Ian has a cross. And I can choose to live by him for faith to get me through it, or I can try and do it in my flesh and be miserable. And so just like Jesus, we have to die to ourselves so that we can be raised to new life. Do you know uh, that you can't be raised to new life if you haven't first died? So you got to die to yourself before Jesus can move in and begin to work in your life and raise you to new life. Just as it's symbolic when we baptize people. And by faith, what is that? What is that that they're saying publicly that the old man is dead? He's dying. He's he's buried in the water, and then out of the water rises a new person, a new creation, a new spirit, a new life, raised to new life. And I want I want to share some hope with you. You know, we serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus. And Jesus, do you know that He practices what He preaches? He practices what. He preaches, and so he doesn't ask us to do anything himself he hasn't done. Did he go and die? Yes, for you and for me. You know what he also said in, in, in the Bible, in the Word, he said, there's no greater love than for one to lay his life down for a brother. And so Jesus did that for us as well. He laid his life down for his flock, for his sheep. And so he invites us to do the same. He invites us to do the same by his Spirit. Verse 27. He says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a, then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought you glory to my name and I will do so again. The reason he came was to save those who would believe. He came to save anyone who would believe. And you know what the great, the good news of that is? He still came even though he knew many would reject him. He knew many would reject him and betray him and crucify him. And he still came. Y'all, a lot of us can't even, if I told you that you were going to have to do something by faith and, and you knew just maybe 20 people were going to criticize you on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or that criticism was going to come in your life, you'd probably be like, eh, I'm good. Jesus was not persuaded, even though he knew many would reject him. And people are still, many are rejecting him today. He says there at verse 27, but this is the very reason that I came. I came so that they get to come. I came so that they may be raised to new life with new expectation, with a new hope. Amen. Let's read Romans 8, 29 through 32. I told you y'all were giving a lot of scriptures today. Verse 29, it says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them be to become like his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about this wonderful things as these? If God is for us, there it is. I know y'all know it. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but instead gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? And so if you think about it, Jesus was literally the firstborn 
among many uh, who was raised to life. Yeah, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but apart from Jesus, Lazarus wasn't going to be raised from the dead. God raised Lazarus from the dead through Jesus to do that for him. And so Jesus was the first one to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And so he was the firstborn so that many may taste and see that as well. And so because of this, he proves this, doesn't he? He proves, God proves that he is for us. If Jesus demonstrated that for us on the cross, he proves that he's for us, like the scripture says. And so why do we doubt him for the miracles and the things that we need him to do in our lives? Why do we, do we waver in faith and doubt? Hear me please this morning. If, if, if Jesus can do it, he's proven that he's for you. What can he not do? What, he, what else won't he give us? Everything else is entrusted to us. Amen. Let's look at that next point. The second point. So, so really, what is Easter? I feel like we have a tendency to overthink things sometimes. It's really, the, the, the message of the gospel is simple in its perfection. And so, Easter is this. It's a celebration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know you know that. He, he died to pay the penalty of our sin, and he conquered the powers and the principalities of spiritual darkness when he was raised to life. And so Jesus, bore the, he bore the punishment for our penalty. Do you know you have a penalty? You fouled. We all filed somewhere. We filed it up somewhere. We all have a penalty of sin. And according to the law, there was judgment that needed to take place. And so Jesus, he bore that punishment, that penalty. He, he ransomed us for us. And, and in doing that on the cross, by taking our place as a, as a willful sacrifice, by doing so, he conquered evil. He conquered evil when that happened, and he conquered evil by his resurrection, what we're celebrating today. If Jesus doesn't uh, be raised to life, uh, isn't resurrected to life, then whatever we're saying and preaching doesn't hold any value. But he did, amen. Come on, somebody. He's alive and well this morning, and it's by that that it proves that he is good. And his resurrection says, it's not over, but we've just begun. His resurrection says, it's not over, we just getting started. He changes the game. If you have breath in your lungs today, you can choose Christ. You can choose a new life. You can be raised from death, depression, uh, addiction, anxiety, anger, uh, all these things. You can, you can put to death those things and be raised to new life with hope and expectation and love and joy and peace and a sound mind. All you got to do is choose them. Colossians 2, 9 through 15. It says, For in Christ lives the fullness of God in a, a human body, so that uh, you also are complete through the union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In Jesus, we are complete and lacking nothing. We can conquer because he first conquered. It's that simple. You have an inheritance, man. And you got to know that Jesus conquered because he conquered. He loves you. He's got you. Nothing can separate you from that. You get to conquer in his name, by him, through him. Verse 12, it says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, and you entrusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away, 
Then God made you alive with Christ. There it is. And he forgave you of all your sins. He canceled, somebody underline that. He canceled the record, your record, your penalty, your foul, and, and the, of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by this victory over them on the cross. And so we're dead to sin. And we're alive in Christ. And our victory is in Jesus. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're alive in Christ and our victory is in Jesus. He says, then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave you of all your sins. He canceled the record of your charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. Your victory is in Jesus. Let's look at that next point. So here it is. We're raised to new life by faith and his finished work. And if you're taking notes, right after that point, I want you to to write this down in big capital letters and underline it, nothing else. We are raised to life by faith in his finished work and nothing else. That is the only way you can experience that that voided place in your life that you are seeking for. That, that, That peace and that joy that you are trying to get in the world by other means that the world cannot give you. The only way you can be raised to new life is by Jesus and nothing else. Nothing we do can help God or ourselves or our circumstances or our situations. We are only saved by faith in Jesus. There's nothing you can do to help God get you to where you're trying to go. God doesn't need your help. I can't fix my life on my own. I've done, been there, done that, tried that. It didn't work out so good. If, if, if you figure that out, you come talk with me. But I know you can't do that apart from Jesus. He says, I'm the vine. You're merely the branches. And you'll bear fruit because you abide in me. And so you cannot bear fruit apart from the vine, the true lifeblood, who is Jesus. And I want you to hear me. No good is good enough. See, we tell ourselves this little lie. We say, you know, but I'm a good person. Have you ever lied? Have you ever hurt somebody? Have you ever gotten revenge for something? Somebody hurts you? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And, and, and no good is good enough. We can't raise ourselves up and get to where we want to go on our own. You might can for a while, but you will fall. Destruction comes before the fall. And so we have to, we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. And that's why God gave him for us. Romans 10, 1 through 4. It says, dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for this people of, of Israel. You know what? Not just Israel this morning. You know, how about the people of Arab and Holly Pond? Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. To May Arabians and Holly Ponders. To be saved. I know with enthusiasm that they have for God, but it has misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself, refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. And this is what I'm talking about. No good is good enough because we, we cling and the world is still in that same place. We're not battling with anything new than they weren't battling with in, in biblical times. We, we have a tendency, we'll, we'll live for God, but then we cling to, to certain areas of our lives in our own way, in our own understanding. And we try and keep this religious, realistic law in our lives that we can't attain. And in verse four, it says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. 
As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Because Jesus completed the law, he can complete you. Stop trying to complete yourself. Stop trying to put together your life puzzle on your own in your own frustrations. Jesus completed, fulfilled the law to the T. If Jesus completed the law, he can complete your life. He can complete you. And I can stand here and talk all morning about how he's completed Ian. And I'm not perfect by any means, but you know what? I always say I try and look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday and more like Jesus tomorrow than I do today. And as long as I do that, he completes me. He completes my life. I'm going to skip down to verse 9. So this is simple. If you want Jesus to complete your life today, if you want to change your life today, you can do that. It's just simple. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. That's what salvation is. That's what salvation means. It's, it's really that simple. And it's really, maybe you've heard this. I call it the ABC gospel. It's as simple as your ABCs. You got to accept you got to believe, and you got to confess. The ABC gospel, you got to accept, you got to believe, and you got to confess. You got to accept that God is who he is. You got to accept that God's God, and you're just merely the creation. You got to accept that you, you're messed up, jacked up, and you need a savior. And you got to believe that that savior is good enough. And I hope I've, I, I, I've made an argument for that this morning, that he is good enough, that he loves you, that he cares about you. And then the, the C, all you got to do is confess by faith. God, I believe, I believe and accept that truth, and I confess, Jesus, that, that you are good and that you came to save me and that you want to you wanna come in and change my life and that you accept me just as I am. The Bible says that he died for us while we were still yet sinners. When he, 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 he chose you when you rejected him. And so he wants to accept you today just as you are. And you can do that. And so if you're watching with us, I don't know if you're at a Hollypon campus in your car or if you're at home watching with the family, I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you've already accepted Jesus and, and he's your Lord and Savior and you know him, I want you right now to begin to thank him for who he is, that, that he is completing you uh, piece by piece every day. But I want you to begin to pray for, for non-believers right now, because this is really an altar call for somebody who does not know him as their Lord and Savior. So I want you to pray with me. And if that's you, you've never accepted Christ into your life. This is your moment. What better day than on Easter Sunday to accept the resurrected king so that the resurrected king can raise you to life? Literally raise you from death, hell, and the grave and raise you to life with hope, new beginnings, new relationships, a, a church that loves and cares about you. Maybe you're going through a really tough season and you're experiencing heartache and pain. Jesus has a mighty knack of moving into that pain and giving you peace and loving on you. Just like a real earthly father would, would call you into his lap and love on you. God wants to do that same thing for you right now. So if that's you, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. I want you all to, to pray it and repeat it after me. And it's going to go something like this. Heavenly Father, God, today, 
on Easter Sunday. God, it's your son that I believe in, that I accept, God, and that I confess is Lord over all. God, I want you to move into my life, move into my heart, God, and change me. God, deposit a real, tangible presence in my life. Lead me and guide me from this day for the rest of my days of my life. Amen.